0: The church celebrates today the feast of the evangelist, St. Matthew. St. Matthew was an evangelist and also one of the 12 apostles. And Matthew calls to mind for our prayer faith. Matthew responds to his vocation with a tremendous faith, a great trust in Christ despite not knowing much about what our Lord had in store for him or what it meant to follow him, what it meant to be an apostle, Matthew trusts Christ and therefore responds to his call immediately, leaving his former life behind. This is Matthew's own description of the moment of his vocation, the moment when our Lord called him. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. What a great example of faith, of trust in the person of Jesus. He just gets up and goes and leaves behind his whole former way of life to embark on this new way, which was full of uncertainty, full of unknowns. And yet he knew enough. He knew that Jesus was calling him. He could sense that Jesus was trustworthy. And so he put his faith in Jesus. Lord, we ask you to to give us this great trust that our Christian life, our Christian vocation is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. We don't know ahead of time all the crosses we're going to have to carry in in our path, in our Christian life. We don't know all the difficulties or trials We'll have to go through. But we say yes to it. We say yes to our vocation to holiness. We say yes to our particular vocation to marriage or celibacy or to the priesthood with this trust in God, with this trust in Christ, that if he's calling me to it, this is what I have to do. This is my way and this is the way that I'll stay on with trust and and fidelity to God, fidelity to Jesus's call. And faith is a great theme in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's almost like he really focuses on Jesus's appreciation of faith and Jesus's disappointment when the disciples and others lack faith. At least five times, Matthew records Jesus using the the phrase, O men of little faith, or O you of little faith. So Matthew has this sensitivity towards faith in our Lord, something that he lived, and also the sensitivity towards Jesus' appreciation of faith and Jesus' own sensitivity towards lacks of faith. Perhaps the most striking instance of that phrase, O you of little faith, comes when Matthew describes Peter's episode of walking on the water towards Jesus. It's an incredible scene to take to our prayer. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat, by this time, was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Have no fear. This is a scene of trust in God, a scene which tells us about trust in Jesus. The apostles and the disciples in the boat, relying on their own senses, their own human judgment, their own emotional reaction, are afraid because it's windy and the wind is against them and there's lots of waves, they're beaten by the waves, as it says here. And then they're even more afraid because Jesus shows up and they think he's a ghost. And then into that situation, Jesus speaks words of confidence. Take heart, it is I. Have no fear. He's asking them to trust his words, to trust him, more than they trust their own judgment, more than they trust their own emotions, more than they trust their own reasoning and evaluation of the situation. Don't be afraid. Have no fear. Take heart. Be confident, because it's me, because I'm here with you. And so in spite of what you're experiencing with your senses and with your emotions, it's okay. Trust me by staying calm. Believe me more than you believe the situation and you believe yourself. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. And he said come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus incredible miracle, an incredible example of what faith can do. If God asks us to do something and we trust in him, he's going to help us do it. This really happened. Matthew was an eyewitness to this event. He was there. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Why did they worship you, Lord? Why did they worship you, saying, Truly you are the Son of God? Because they've been moved to belief. They've seen this great sign. They've seen this great miracle. And they're moved to trust in you, and to trust in your own account of yourself, in your own account of your divinity, that you are God, you are the Son of God, equal to God the Father. And yet, Lord, we're struck by this question you asked Peter, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did Peter doubt? Or in what did Peter's doubt consist, which is in a certain sense, the same question. What was Peter's doubt? What caused it? The gospel tells us Peter is walking on the water because he's trusting in the word of Jesus, come. And Peter says, if it's you, bid me to come out to the water to you. And Jesus says, it is me, come, trust me. And trusting in Jesus and his power and in his plan, he starts walking on the water to Jesus. But then the gospel says, Peter saw the wind and began to be afraid and then began to sink. And so Peter's doubt consists in no longer relying on the certainty of Jesus's word, the trust in Jesus's word and Jesus's power, to focusing on his senses again, relying once more on his senses and his human judgment. He looks at the wind, he probably looks down at the water, and his human reasoning and his senses are saying to him, what the heck are you doing out here on the water in the middle of the storm? You should be sinking, you should be drowning, and then he begins to sink and he begins to drown. He says, Lord, save, Lord, help me. And Jesus grabs him. And this, Lord, is what happens to us in our life. We look at the wind, we look at the waves, we fall back on our own human reasoning, on the evidence only of our senses, and we stop using your words as a sure guide for reality, as a sure guide for our life. And we can look at the situation of the world and be discouraged by it. So much confusion, so much sin, so much violence, so much infighting, so little unity. We can look at the situation in the church and be discouraged by it. Again, lots of confusion, lots of disunity. We can look at the situation of our own history and our own personal story up to this point and we see so many things that seem to have gone wrong or things that we've suffered or limitations that we never overcame. Or our own family or our friends, people we love. And we can get discouraged because we're looking at things only with our senses and only with our human judgment. And we stop. We stop trusting in God's word because our focus is off. We we fall back on our human judgment. And like Peter, we sink. And so Lord we ask you, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to believe in your power, to believe in your goodness, to believe in your love, in spite of the evidence of our senses, in spite of the contrary judgment of our own human experience and our own human reasoning. The letter to the Hebrews very powerfully defines faith as the proof of things unseen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Sometimes it's translated the conviction of things unseen. But apparently the Greek is more objective than subjective. Conviction would be the state of certainty that faith causes in us. But the Greek is more like that faith is the proof or the evidence of things unseen. And that's very powerful, it's a powerful description of faith, that faith is a strong mode of knowledge. It's not a weak mode of knowing, it's a strong mode of being certain, not a weak one. Because proof and evidence are strong modes of knowing. When we have proof, the argument is over. Right? If you have, if you can prove something, well then it's no longer debated. If you have evidence in a court case, well then the evidence is a very s- strong argument for your case and one one side or the other. Right? Proof or evidence closes open questions in law or in science or in philosophy. And so the Holy Spirit's telling us in the letter to the Hebrews that faith stands in for proof. It matters unseen and matters concerning God and our soul and salvation and God's promises. Right? Faith acts as evidence, it's solid evidence in things that we can't see for ourselves, the invisible things, God's goodness, God's providence, God's grace, God's divinity. And how can we have that conviction? How can faith be that strong? Well, because of trust. Because of trust. If I tell you something that you can't know unless I tell it to you, you can hold it with an absolute conviction as long as you trust in me. Your sense of certainty in what I tell you can be very high, but it all depends on whether you trust me or not. So if I tell you that this morning when I woke up, The first thing I did after praying a little morning offering was go and make myself a cup of coffee. If I tell you that, that's something that, for you, is unseen. It's unknowable. You can't know it for yourself. You can't have human evidence of it. The only way you can know it is if you hear it from me. Now, once you hear it from me, it's understandable and it makes sense. It's possible. And you can you can hold it with a great certainty as long as you trust me, as long as you think that I'm someone who is telling you the truth and someone who wouldn't lie to you. And I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> you have to make up your own mind whether you want to trust me or not. But I can tell you that I'm telling the truth. That's what I did this morning when I woke up. I prayed a morning offering. And the first thing I did after that was I went and made a cup of coffee. And this is, this is similar to, to our faith that we can have an absolute trust in God's love for us, an absolute trust in God's providence, an absolute trust in God that he's with us in every circumstance, an absolute trust in the teachings of the church, an absolute trust in, in our vocation. If we trust God who's revealed these things to us we can we can have a great certainty in those things to the extent that we trust that God has revealed this because God is good and God doesn't lie and this is one of the roles of the gospels and one of the roles in our faith of the four evangelists they're witnesses to the trustworthiness of Christ right they're, they're recording things because they saw them themselves or they Are reporting them from people who were eyewitnesses and they're telling us with their testimonies with these written testimonies inspired by the holy spirit they're telling us look he was good jesus was good jesus did these miracles these were his teachings and they're telling us you can trust him trust us we were witnesses we talked to the witnesses these are these are trustworthy documents Trust us that you can trust him. Trust me, you can trust Jesus. That's what St. Matthew is telling us on this feast day, what the other evangelists tell us. Trust me, you can trust Jesus. Which means you can believe with a great certainty in him, in his teachings, in his works, in his church, in his plan for you, in his presence with you. Behold, I am with you always, Jesus says, until the end of the age. And we see, Lord Jesus, that you're asking for a trust that's very powerful. A trust that goes beyond our trust in our senses. A trust that's greater than our trust in our own human reasoning. In Matthew's Gospel, in an earlier passage, Jesus is sleeping in the boat and this great storm kicks up and the apostles are there and they're afraid that the boat is going to capsize and that they're going to drown. And they wake our Lord up. They say, Lord, help us. Don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus calms the storm. He tells the wind to be still. He calms the storm. And then he turns to the apostles and says, Why did you fear, O you of little faith? Why did we fear? Well, we were about to drown. The drowning is very scary dying in general, right? <laughs> it's very scary. But I think there's something very particularly scary about drowning. Particularly scary about suffocating, right? Not being able to breathe. I read this book on breath and it goes through all the science on different breathing techniques and the importance of breathing well, etc. And one of the things it it recommends is to practice every once in a while, not all the time, but to practice holding your breath, right? That can be good for your cardiovascular system. And so after reading this book, I did this. I practiced like holding my breath a number of times. And it's a very interesting experience. If you really try to hold your breath long and keep it beyond the point where it's comfortable, your chest starts to like pulsate, like gasping for air, kind of interiorly. It's like it's almost like an internal clenching of your lungs, right? Wanting air. And eventually you have to breathe. You have to you have to stop holding your breath. I I can't get to the point where I pass out. I would never be brave enough to do that. In any in any event. And uh and so there's something very deep about needing to breathe. And very scary about not being able to breathe. In the same book, there's a fascinating story about this this woman who is missing her amygdala. And the amygdala is the part of your brain that regulates anxiety. And so if you don't have an amygdala, you don't experience fear. And so this lady never experienced fear in her whole life. She was never afraid of anything, never anxious about anything. And so these researchers said, well, let's see what happens if she has the experience of suffocating, if even that, you know, she would be able to stay calm or even even that wouldn't like wouldn't scare her at all. And so they had her breathe in carbon um, carbon dioxide, like pure carbon dioxide, which creates this incredible sensation of of suffocation. And that did it. That worked. And so apparently she totally freaked out. She was terrified of the sensation of of suffocating. And so apparently there's like another system of fear which doesn't work uh, based on the brain, on the amygdala. It's kind of a deeper, uh, I can't remember what it, what they attribute it to, but there's a deeper kind of fear response in our body or soul um, that uh That doesn't work with the amygdala. In any event, so the the question of Jesus is very interesting. He's basically saying, why were you afraid? Oh, you of little faith, why were you afraid? And the question is, in a certain sense, absurd. Why were we afraid? Well, we're about to drown. Death is something that we're all naturally afraid of, and drowning is something that we're all naturally afraid of. Suffocating is intrinsically terrifying. And so what Jesus is, is calling them to is to trust him more than their senses, trust him more than their deepest fears, trust him more than their human reasoning. You shouldn't be afraid if I'm here. You shouldn't be afraid of death because I'm here. I'm God, I love you, you're in my hands. Don't don't fear anything, don't give in to the fear. anything you might experience fear but don't let it dominate you walk by faith saint paul says we walk by faith not by sight the conviction of things unseen the proof the evidence of things unseen our faith lord increase our faith because we our faith is weak um, because we tend uh not to trust god so much And we naturally tend to rely more on our own human reasoning, and our own senses, and our own judgment. And so we take doubts very seriously. And so our faith becomes weak, and then we tend to think that faith itself is weak, that there's something about faith itself that includes doubt, or that includes vacillation, or that includes uncertainty. And that's that's wrong. That's, <laughs> that's not true. Right? Faith can be a very certain thing. Just like if you trust me about my breakfast, well, you can have a great certainty in that even though you don't see it, even though you haven't witnessed it. Well, it's the same thing with God. St. Thomas Aquinas explains it in this way. A person with little learning, St. Thomas writes, A person with little learning is far more sure of something he hears from an expert than he is of any insight of his own. Assuming that the person is humble and wise enough to know that the expert knows more than him, right? That the expert is an expert. A person with little learning is far more sure of something he hears from an expert than he is of any insight of his own. And so much more is someone more sure of what he hears from God who is infallible, than of what he sees with his own fallible reason. Our faith is revealed to us by God. And God is infallible. And God is all-knowing. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So as long as we trust God, we can have a real strong, almost absolute conviction in the truths of the faith. And yes, we might have contrary thoughts and contrary doubts, but the question is, well, how do I respond to them? In those times when I have doubts or thoughts, who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust those thoughts and those doubts which arise from my experience and my own my own uh, personal musings or some stupid argument I heard on the internet? Right? Am I going to trust that line of reasoning that is giving rise to that thought, or am I going to trust God and the saints? And the Church, and Jesus Christ, right, from whom all of those teachings and all that lived holy experience of the saints comes from. In the moment of experiencing some doubt or thought, I don't have to make it a real doubt. I can respond to it by saying, no, I trust Jesus and therefore this is what I believe. And we process the doubts and we evaluate the doubts in terms of the conviction of our faith and not vice versa. Having faith is not always checking to see if the faith is true because we happen to have any sillier, stupid thought at any given moment. Oh, maybe my faith is not true because I'm thinking this. No, it's the opposite. If this thought contradicts the faith, well, it has to be wrong. And then we can figure out why, right? We think things through. We don't, it's not a blind faith or fideistic. Obviously, we can think things through. But the question is, where is my trust? Where is the conviction? If I trust that the Church comes from Jesus, well then I trust that the Church is solid and that the sacraments are solid. The teachings of the Church, the lives of the saints are solid. Right? I can lean on their example. I can lean on their doctrine. The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains this, that our faith is based on God, on the authority of God. The Catechism says, what moves us to believe is not the fact that revealed truths appear as true and intelligible in the light of our natural reason. We believe, quote, because of the authority of God himself who reveals them, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. Right? So the basis of our faith, the reason for our faith, that which also makes it extremely certain, is not because We've evaluated the truths and they appear true to us, even though that's important and they should. Rather, the real basis and the real cause of the certainty of our faith is the authority of God. We believe because of the authority of God himself, who reveals the truths of the faith. Who, God, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. And so just like if you trust me, you can believe based on the authority of me being an expert on what I did this morning, and the expert or the expert on what I had or didn't have for breakfast, so too, God is the expert concerning the things of God. God is the expert concerning the things necessary for our salvation. And God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And so because God can neither deceive nor be deceived, we can put an absolute trust in Him and in all of His teachings. Lord, increase my faith. I am a man of little faith. Often, Lord, I let my own reasoning, and I let the wind and waves of my own situation, and the wind and waves that I see in the world, weaken my faith and shrink my trust And just like St. Peter and the Apostles, it shows up in fear that I get anxious and I get worried about what's going to happen. And that can kind of cause us to be discouraged and less daring and generous in our apostolate. Because we think, oh, if the world's going to heck in a handbasket, well, then what's the point of trying? Or if the church is in such a bad condition, what's the point of being generous and serving her? This isn't going anywhere Or if I can't get over these defects, right? What's the, you know, what's the point in trying to be holier and trying to love more? I can never get anywhere. And all of that is lack of faith. And all of that is relying on our own judgment, on our own evaluation of our experience and no longer trusting the word of God, trusting God's promises, trusting God's presence, trusting God's own trust in us, right? God trusts us that we can grow with his grace. But, but what unlocks his power in our life is faith, is, tr- is precisely trust. And so, Lord, when I look at the world and I see what's wrong, and I look at my situation and I see what's wrong, my response in faith should be excellent. This is precisely where I need to grow. The world needs a saint, and I'm called to be a saint. And The world needs people to love and to forgive and to believe in God, to bring God's teachings into the world. And each one of us are called to love and to forgive, to believe in God, and to bring God's teachings into the world. But the, precisely the things that we see wrong are the things that should give us the most enthusiasm, energy, to be part of the solution. And that's what God wants. These world crises are crises of saints, as St. Saint Josemaria puts it. These world crises are crises of saints. And saints are people who have this kind of radical faith, radical trust in God's word, in God's revelation. In spite of all the evidence to the contrary, we walk by faith and not by sight. We go to Our Lady. Our Lady is the Virgin most faithful. She lived the obedience of faith, as St. John Paul II described it. And so we ask her, help us to see the wind and the waves of our life supernaturally, that God is with us, that God is in them, that God is calling calling us to holiness through them. Our Lady, Our Mother, Virgin Most Faithful, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.